welcome to series two of the Tim Hill podcast. In the last series, I took you all the way from my birth right up until the present day once I'd retired and some of the adventures that I'd gone on. In this series, I'm looking at going back and looking at some of the other amazing adventures that I'd had and going a bit more detail. Thank you for listening. Welcome to episode one, series two of the Tim Hill podcast. In this episode, I'm going to take you through one of the trips that I did many years ago with my best mate, Dave. I met Dave many years ago in 1983 uh, when I was working at the Army Hang Gliding Centre that later became the Joint Services Hang Gliding Centre. Dave was a training officer for the British Hang Gliding Association. He was also a, a really good league pilot. So I'd see Dave on odd occasions up on the hills and got to know him quite well. Dave was taught by Sandra's husband, Howard. Howard was killed in 1982 in a hang gliding accident. And I met Sandra through the British Hang Gliding Association after my boss, Jim Taggart, was killed in a tragic hang gliding accident. And I had to take over quite a lot of the duties that he was doing at the time. And I was liaison with the British Hang Gliding Association where Sandra worked. So I got to know Sandra quite well. And I later married Sandra. And this is how I got to know Dave. Dave was still really good friends with Sandra. And that's how I got on with Dave. Anyway, this trip, we'd been doing lots and lots of different trips over the years. We'd been hill walking a lot. We spent a lot of time hill walking. We used to go flying sometimes, but generally... I gave up hang gliding once I'd left the hang gliding centre purely because time and life had taken over and I just didn't have the time to go and fly. So for safety's sake, I gave up. Anyway, this particular trip, we were avid collectors of escape stories, World War II escape stories. And we used to go around all different bookshops and and places like that, and we used to collect escape stories, stuff like Airy Neves, they have their exits, Pat Reed's The Coldest Story, The Password is Courage, and so forth. Um, we tried to find the first editions, which was a lot harder than you'd think. Anyway, so off the back of this, we decided that we were going to do a trip to Coldest Castle, Coldish Castle was a prisoner of war camp during the Second World War and housed some of the most prolific escapers from the British, the French, the Dutch and the Polish. The Berlin War had come down in 1989. This was about 1994 that we decided that we were going to go and do this trip and we were going to try and do it as an escape. So we packed up our Bergens and we booked a train ticket at the time, you could get a European travel ticket that cost £120. So all we had to do was get ourselves down to Dover. Once we got across to, we went to, across to Ostend, because that's where we could get the first train from. Either that or we go to Harwich, but we'd gone to Ostend. So we had to buy a train ticket to get us down to Dover. 
we've got the boat from Dover over to Ostend and then we got onto the European travel ticket. Now this enabled us to travel pretty much anywhere in Europe. But we were going to go across the Colditz. So our first first bit was to get from Ostend across the Colditz by train. So we had to go across to Germany first. And the first stop or the first change was at Cologne. So we had a little bit of time at Cologne before we could get a train across to, to Dresden. And the Dresden train took a little while. And you could tell when you went from, from West Germany into East Germany, the whole place kind of still changed. Although the wall had came down about five years beforehand, East Germany was still, still in the transformation period. So lots of things were different. The place still looked a bit grey. There was still an awful lot of people driving around in Trabants. So from that point of view, we could tell once we got into East Germany. Once we got to Dresden, we had to change trains there. And then we had to get onto a local train that take us to actually to Colditz itself. So when we finally arrived at Colditz, we found a small hotel that we could stay in. It was a guest house, really. And it was a real East German type of guest house. So it was, it had the feel that there was people watching you all the time. And it was felt very strange. But on the following day, we, we, we left the Bergens in the, in the guest house. And we went up to the castle itself. At this time, the castle had just closed from being a mental health hospital. So it was it was kind of left slightly derelict. But just round the corner from the actual castle itself, there was a, a small museum where they'd set up uh, and, uh, and they'd kept all the stuff that they'd found during the, the times when the Germans were running the camp. So they had lots and lots of interesting materials. And the guy that run this small museum said that he would take us into the castle and show us some of the escape routes, which was fascinating. We spent several hours actually in the museum looking at the staff and, and talking through with the guy that run it. I can't remember the guy's name, but he was a wealth of knowledge. We also bought a couple of books while we were there. We bought Reinhardt's book, who was the commandant of the the prison when it was a prisoner of war camp during the second world war and then he took us off to the off to the castle itself and we went through the castle we went into the the prisoners courtyard which pretty much was unchanged from when it was there during the war and we were able to go into the chapel and we could see the escape route through the chapel we were able to see a couple of the tunnels that they'd, they'd dug. And we managed to get up into the rafters or up into the attics where the, 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 the glider was built by some enthusiastic British prisoners of war. But for some reason, the glider had disappeared after the war and nobody quite knows what happened to it. With this unfettered access that we had to the castle, while we were up in the attics, we were able to look out 
of the windows and we could see where they built the false wall uh, where they built the glider and we could look out and see exactly how they were trying to, to or how they were going to try and get this glider out onto the roof and, and and we could see where they were going to land it and and it was it was a fascinating bit of history to think that we were actually there where these guys actually built this glider during the second world war it was really really a real privilege to be able to do that at the time anyway so after we 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 spent pretty much the whole day in the castle itself going around looking at the different stuff looking at the different tunnels going into the that when we were in the chapel we were able to look under the the floorboards and we could see where they'd cut their way through and we were it was quite funny because we were able to go up into to where the 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 prisoners accommodation was and and, and to see how how the, the the setup of the castle was so it was it was fantastic we had a a, a brilliant memorable day just going round the castle we were able to ask dozens of questions we, this poor guy he, he 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 must have felt knackered at the end of the day because we just bombarded him the whole day with questions about this that how this worked what went there and um it, we we just had the best day ever when we got back to the the guest house um Fortunately, it was it was just a bed and breakfast, so we had to go out and find somewhere to eat. And the only place that we could find was a, I guess it was something like, would you call it a pub or a type restaurant? It was it was an odd place, but anyway, we went out and had a bit of dinner that night, and we were going to move on the following morning. So after breakfast, um, in the in this guest house, it was a traditional German continental type breakfast so it's a bit of bread cheese and and cold sausage and coffee uh, and that was about it so off we went we got down to the train station um, and we caught the train then back to dresden from dresden we were looking at going over to auschwitz we wanted to go into poland we wanted to go and visit auschwitz itself so we'd done a little bit of research beforehand and there's, there was a hotel called actually Hotel Auschwitz. But to get there was, was quite a bit of a, a feat. So we managed to get a train. Um, I forget where we got it from. It wasn't Dresden, but we, we went from Dresden up to Leipzig. And then we got a night train then into Poland that was going to take us to um, Krakow and this night train was pretty uncomfortable um, it was the wooden seats it it, it wasn't a, a full-on type international train by any stretch of the imagination it was pretty much um, an old steam train once we got into Poland they, they swapped the, the engines over from the, from the German one uh, and the carriages were, were sort of the open carriages with wooden bench seats and it was pretty uncomfortable but they did have a restaurant car on there and i can remember um, we we're going up to the restaurant car and we got goulash they did a fantastic goulash soup on this train which was quite um 
quite spectacular. When we arrived in, um, we arrived in Krakow around about six o'clock in the morning. Um, we didn't have a, a, any idea of what we were going to do next. The, the the first train we could get to actually to Auschwitz, uh, and Auschwitz is around about, I think it's about fifty kilometres, about thirty miles from Krakow. So we had a little bit of time to wait for this train. I think the train was about 10 o'clock, and this is 6 o'clock in the morning. And we had a really, really uncomfortable feeling uh, in Krakow. We felt that wherever we went, people, were, eyes were watching us. It was a most odd feeling. Anyway, we, we decided that we'd, we'd, we'd sit on the, the, the platform while we were deciding what to do. We'd, um, we'd get a... a uh, MSR cookers out and we would have a brew so we, we brewed up a cup of tea and then we decided that um, there was a, a McDonald's close by so once we'd had a brew we figured out that McDonald's was going to open around about eight o'clock so we had a, a wander down we found we found a McDonald's and it was going to open at eight o'clock we also had a, a wander around sort of the streets and, and and we had this feeling that we were being watched the whole time. It was quite weird. We couldn't see anybody, but we just had felt that there was eyes on us the whole time. Anyway, ten o'clock came. We 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 managed to get this train, and it was it was even worse than the night train that we come on. It was a a real local provincial type train that rattled, and it 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 didn't do much more than sort of twenty mile an hour, I guess. But it, it, it took us a, a good hour or so to get to Auschwitz. Uh, when we arrived in Auschwitz, we, we managed to, to find this hotel called Hotel Auschwitz. And we went and booked in. After we booked in, we went then, uh, we went and got the information that we needed to go and visit the different camps. We first went off to what I guess was the, the main camp at... Um, uh, Auschwitz, which was the the one you see in all the pictures, the ones where uh, you, you, the train comes through and, and and the train line goes underneath this uh, the, the the entrance building, and then you've got what's left of some of the huts there. But you could see the size of this place, and the size of this place is unimaginable. Really, it, it's huge. And you could, as far as you can see, the far end, um, we managed to walk all the way down to the far end uh, where the the incinerators were and gas chambers. Um, and, and they were obviously destroyed at the end of the war, but they've left them as they were. And you can you can still see where it was. And you're looking back down to, to the entrance of this place and it, it's it's... Is huge. I mean, it's scary how big this place is. So we spent the best part of the day there just, just reflecting, and, and it was one of those really cold October days, and the feeling that you got there was just one of absolute despair, I guess. But that's how we felt. The following day, we were going to go and have a look at the other um, place so we, we we stopped in this hotel we managed to get a meal in there that night 
the following day was quite was a difficult really difficult day particularly for Dave um, we went off and we we, we found the, the the work camp and this is the place um, where that you see on the, the pictures work to survive or whatever the the words were over the gate um, work to be free or something so we went into this place and, and it's set up as a, a real memorial type museum um, and it's quite horrific at some of the stuff you see but we went into some of the warehouses and this is what really struck home how how brutal the Nazis could be you saw after uh, warehouse after help warehouse of personal possessions piles of glasses piles of shoes piles of hair piles of personal possessions and I think that the, the bit that really shook Dave up a bit were seeing children's shoes in this place um, and we decided that that was enough we we were going to go on to Prague after this but Dave was pretty much shook up about this because he'd got Grant who was only three at the time and I guess seeing seeing these shoes really brought it home how important family is to people so we booked out a hotel, we got a train back to, um, well, in fact, we got a taxi up to Katowice. And this taxi was quite amusing because the price started off at, uh, I think it was about a thousand shalottis, which was about a fiver at the time. And by the time we got to Katowice, it gone up to about 5,000 shalottis. Anyway, we, we paid it and we managed to get a train then that took us pretty much all the way back through into Germany. Across Germany, we had to change a couple of times uh, and we got back to Ostend uh, and we got a train home. And we were back from, back within 24 hours, pretty much. Um, and we got back to Dave's. We saw Roe and Grant. Sandra came down and met us when we got back. So that was the end of that particular trip. On reflection, I think it was worth doing, but having seen firsthand Auschwitz, it's quite, quite horrendous. And the difference in the way that they treated the Jews to, to prisoners of war, particularly British uh, uh, allied prisoners of war, it was, was so stark that it was a real shock. So some 25 years later, I have since revisited Kolditz. I've not been back to Auschwitz. I don't think I could take that again. However, revisiting Kolditz in 2019 with another mate, Brad, we'd set off on our motorbikes this time and we'd come across France and we visited the village at Ordoza Glen where the Nazis had murdered everybody in the village and they'd burnt women and children in the church, which was another horrendous place to see. But we'd gone across um, France, we'd gone down into, into Italy, where we'd visited the Ducati factory, 
and then we went up over the Alps and we visited Berchtesgaden and we were going to go up and see the eagle's nest. Unfortunately, the day we were there, it had been snowing or there was still snow on the top and the buses and that couldn't get up. So unfortunately, we didn't actually get to the eagle's nest itself. We did visit Berchtesgaden where Adolf had his house and he entertained all his friends where he had all these big meetings and stuff like that. It's the one where you see the pictures of him on on his veranda um, and, and he's meeting all of his, his pals there. Unfortunately, the RAF managed to bomb the place just at the end of the war and destroyed it. So the whole place is flattened, but you can still see some of the remnants of the, the main fireplace and, and the retaining wall at the back and stuff like that. So you can still kind of work out where the garages were and uh, and where things were placed at the time. After that, we then came up over the, the top and we were going to do the Grossglockner. Unfortunately, that had, um, that was closed due to snow. So we had to come back down into a different valley. We had to put the motorbikes onto a, a train that took us through the mountains to the other side into Austria. And then from Austria, we came up uh, to Munich and we had a, a two or three days in Munich where we visited the Hofbrau house and, uh, and did some sightseeing around Munich and we saw the the place where the Nazis um, had their headquarters in Munich. By all accounts if you do a Nazi salute outside this place you'll be arrested and thrown in jail for many years. However we didn't try that on and then from there we came then on our motorbikes, we, we rode over into what was East Germany. And again, it, it, it's strange, the difference between East and West Germany. The towns that we were visiting on our way up to Colditz, we stopped off at places for lunch on one thing or another. But the towns were so much quieter than they were in West Germany. And the reason for this is that lots and lots of people have, have fled or moved from East Germany across into West Germany for fear of it all collapsing again, I suppose, or because there's, there's that much more industry, there's that much more opportunities in West Germany or what was West Germany than is in East Germany. There doesn't seem to be the amount of investment put into East Germany that's been, for decades I suppose, spent in West Germany, which was quite an eye-opener. Anyway, we, we got to, to Kolditz, and this time um, the, the town of Kolditz has changed quite a bit since the, the 25 years since I was there last. The museum has actually now moved, actually into the castle on the prisoner side of the castle. On the commandant side of the castle is now a youth hostel and you can book into the youth hostel, which we did. Uh, I mean, it was great because we, we spoke to them and they were, we were allowed to keep our motorbikes inside the, the castle grounds itself so we could keep an eye on the motorbikes. And the museum is so much better than it was before. It's, it's really well thought out. They've moved all the stuff that was in the old museum 
into a new one and they found some other stuff since and there's lots and lots of stories uh, of, of prisoners and it, it takes you through most of the escapes that happened and they do a guided tour which was um, from from the guided tour that we had is a little bit different we, we didn't have quite such unfettered access but this time what they've done is they've They've recreated the glider. They've rebuilt the glider. Although it's on a slightly different floor, it's, it's, it's the floor underneath where they actually built it. But they've got a, an actual full-size replica of the glider that was built. And apparently they, they took advice and, and everything from the guys that actually built the glider uh, to recreate this glider. And it looks fabulous. And you just wonder how the hell they were going to get it out onto the roof and fly this thing. But there was a program a few years ago where they actually did recreate the, 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 the glider and they actually flew it off of the castle and it landed down in the landing field. So in theory or in practice, this glider would have actually worked well. I wouldn't have liked to have tried it myself, however... Um, the, the, the program shows this glider and it, it, it actually flies uh, and it would have worked so from that point of view it was brilliant the rest of the museum they show um, you, you can see the tunnels so they, they show a lot more I guess than we saw before although you can't wander around as much as, as, as we did and they're still revamping some of the, the, the castle so they're still doing it up. From from what we gathered from the first visit and the second visit, the prisoners used to do whatever they could to undermine this um, this the foundations of this castle. It's amazing that it's actually still standing. Really, from from some of the stuff that they were doing, uh, infecting the, the the beans with woodworm and all the rest of it. So the castle. If you ever get the opportunity to go to Coldest Castle, it is really, really interesting. It's a great place to go and see. The town itself has had a little bit of investment in it. There's a new supermarket there. There are a couple of restaurants around. So from that point of view, there has been a bit of investment in Coldest Town itself. The railway station, as far as I can gather, has now gone, it's closed, that line's gone. So like this country, I guess, uh, England, with the beaching report in the 60s, lots and lots of these branch lines have been uh, disbanded and disused and, and no longer, which is a real shame. I think public transport and travelling by train is a great way of getting around and I really enjoy travelling by train. I also enjoy travelling by motorcycle. As I alluded to at the beginning... Dave and I like to play the escape game. The escape game works like this. You try and imagine that you've just broken out of a prison camp and you're on the run. So it's a bit like escape and evasion. So what you're trying to do is blend into to the local population, try to work out how you're going to get from A to B without being detected, without being stopped by the, the authorities and stuff like that. It's, I mean, admittedly, it's quite difficult when you're not really 
in that environment. However, when you're playing the game and you're trying to imagine being on the run and seeing what it's like and getting a feeling that people are watching you, are you blending in? And just imagining how difficult it must have been for these guys once they finally got out of a prison camp and they were on a run and how how they didn't get detected. But I guess most of the time they did because there were very few successful runs, home runs, very few throughout the whole of the war. Even the, the Great Escape with the, the 76 that got away, there was only three that made the home run. 50 were murdered by the Nazis and the rest were returned to the camp, which was quite horrendous at the time. It put a big dampener on trying to escape, I guess, hearing that news. And I guess that news went pretty much swiftly around all the different um, prisoner war camps. So individual escapes um, were difficult at the best of times and getting out of somewhere like Colditz was even more difficult. And some of the feats that these guys had, had done and managed to get away was quite astounding. And some of the other prison camps where guys had escaped from and made home runs and were captured. There was a lot of captured and they didn't treat you particularly well if you were captured. Fortunately for, for Dave and I, we didn't get captured and we managed to do a home run. But that home run was marred by what we'd seen in Auschwitz. And I think it had marked particularly Dave for the rest of his life. And it's had an effect on me over the years as well, seeing some of the stuff I've seen since. But I guess that's where we're going to end this one. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope I've painted a picture in your mind's eye of what to expect in this series. Thank you for listening. <laughs>